Hello everybody, welcome to another edition of the Value Line Observer with Val Hughes of the Value Guys. I am a 30-year Wall Street veteran who has gone underground, taken on a secret identity in order to provide you with my candid thoughts on a handful of stocks out of each week's Value Line Investment Survey. You've seen my face on TV, you've seen me quoted in the news, but my bosses would never allow my unfiltered views on the air so I disguise my voice and they'll never know. This week I take a look at the June 18th 2010 edition of the Value Line Investment Survey but before I do that a couple of important caveats. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only and that's not a guarantee. Secondly, I may have many important conflicts of interest uh, most importantly, I may um, have interests that are opposite of yours and may be uh, misinforming you to benefit myself. Of course, that goes without saying. It's America. Uh, third, I may be completely uninformed. And uh, it's just after work. I'm paging through Value Line, as I have for 30 years now. Um, and finally, and this is very important, I may be drinking, uh, although tonight only modestly, so uh, probably because it's early. <clears throat> uh, see all uh, my caveats at www.thevalueguys.com. There's a bio and some photos and a form if you want to contact me. Uh, also, there's a button there for my best ideas over the last four years, uh, including uh, buy price and uh, it's just buy and hold. And you can you can click there and see that. It only works in Explorer, Internet Explorer. So um, so check check that out at www.thevalueguys.com. Now, for you new listeners, there's uh, here's the format of the show. I do three. Uh, value ideas out of that week's value line investment survey and uh, and that's coming right up but before I do that I like to do a little rant called it would help my portfolio if and initially when I started doing that I thought I would cover a variety of topics and it'd be interesting it started out just as a rant things that were upsetting but it's turned into just basically me uh, complaining about taxes so once again, uh, I tried to think a little bit about, about this this week. It would help my portfolio if, if what? Well, uh, there's a lot of uncertainty in the market right now, in the economy. And so uh, I think that capitalists don't know exactly what to do with their capital, so they're hoarding capital. In fact, I saw a statistic recently that corporate America has more cash on hand as a percentage of total assets since they did in 1950, which was uh, shortly after the end of World War II when, uh, you know, the, the world seemed to be ending. And now we're back at that level again. So um, it, it could be, uh, you know, to avert uh, the, ri the risks associated with um, an another uh, inability for banks to lend money, and I think that's a lot of it. But it also could be that there's uncertainty with regard where to invest capital when we have so many things that are uncertain. For example, health care, the health care bill, it's passed. Uh, why are we not hearing anything about it? 
I think healthcare prices are going to quietly be going up. Uh, you've got corporate America quietly talking about giant write-downs they're having to take to, I believe, pension um, accounts to uh, take into account the higher price of uh, insurance going forward. And, um, and so um, I, I think there's a lot of uncertainty around what, what's going to happen to the you know, uh, sub supply of medical services, the pricing of medical services. That's about 18% of the economy. I think business needs more information about that, and we're not hearing about it. Uh, secondly, uh, drilling. We're drilling. We're not drilling. What are we doing? I mean, there's an oil spill. Okay. I mean, isn't that just part of the risk of doing business? It's a terrible uh, oil spill. They'll have to clean it up, etc. But meantime, um, you know, we need energy, right? What are we going to do about it? Can we drill? Can we not drill? This is 15% of the economy. So, again, whole fleets of boats have to move to different parts of the world and rigs have to float various places. I mean, make up your mind, people. Let, let, let the capitalists, the owners of property, decide where to move these things. That's all. Um, estate taxes. You know, I have some friends that aren't well. And uh, it's sad to think they have to make decisions about, you know, when they might die. And I'm, I'm, uh, uh, you know, the estate tax for 2010, it's it's zero. But then in 2011, it snaps back to I think 45 percent or 50 percent. And so you have this uh, sort of ghoulish incentive for people to die in 2010 instead of 2011. It's all going to come out in the statistics. Uh, we'll find out if that uh, has in fact incentivized anyone um, to, uh, to an early demise, but it'd be good to know. I mean, small business depends on uh, cash flow, and if there are sick people and the business doesn't know what the ultimate tax is going to be, then they're going to refrain from investing in things as well. I think that's something that they need to figure out. Um, the bank laws, they're still talking about it. You know, this uh, crisis was starting to be two years ago. What are the laws going to be? You can see how banks are reluctant to lend as much money as people might want in an environment where they don't know how the laws are going to be. Uh, investment firms, again, you know, somehow they've turned out to be the bad guys here, even though uh, it was Freddie and Fannie that put out all this paper that turned bad, but still, we don't know what the laws are going to be. And, um, uh, you know, the securities industry, I think, is, well, finance anyway, is, is 12 or 15 percent of the economy, um, energy 18, healthcare maybe 15. I mean, I'm up in the near 40 percent of the economy doesn't know what the policies are, and you can't help but think that that's going to prevent investment or at least reduce it and then if you have less investment you're going to have less growth because the stuff you would have been doing you're not doing and so uh, less growth means less value and so it also raises risk which further erodes value and so this all this delaying these decisions by the policy makers is eroding value in my portfolio and yours so it would help my portfolio if they could get their checklist out and decide some of this stuff and we could move forward. So that's my uh, 
section of it would help my portfolio if this week. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, well, let's get into the stocks. The show might be a little uh, shorter uh, than than usual this week because I just keep getting behind. I've got a new schedule this year, as people know, and I just continue to uh, sort of put the show up at an erratic schedule. So uh, I know I said this is the June 18th show, and it is, and this is June 19th, so that's not so bad. But I have yet to put up the June 11th show. My hope is, depending on how this goes, I may do a back-to-back and put up the June 11th show after doing this show just to keep some continuity. Um, So we'll see. The other thing about the June 11th issue is I just went through it. It's chock full of great value ideas. So even if I was inclined to pass it by in the hopes of getting caught up again on my schedule here with the show... I couldn't because there were so many terrific <clears throat> value ideas in that issue. And um, it actually took me quite a while to select three, but I managed to do that. So um, if you're hearing this show, maybe go back and hear the other June 11th show as well, if it's there, so what have you. Um, so the June 18th show. Uh, I've got three pretty good ideas this week, I think. Um, and I took, uh, I took one of them out, and I'm, by the way, I'm, I'm not doing page numbers anymore. No one cared. So, not sure what order to go in. I guess order of, uh, what, alphabetical? I don't know. How about what's on top? LabCorp of America, ticker, ticker LH. I own the stock. Um, and I, I'm going to do a little compare and contrast here because there's two companies that are, you know, competing, LabCorp of America and Quest Diagnostics, ticker DGX. And I thought I would uh, look at both of them since that's exactly the exercise we did in the shop. Um, and I own LabCorp, so I want to recommend it. What these guys do is it's one of the nation's largest independent clinical laboratory companies. So effectively, they do testing for all kinds of uh, diseases. Um, They do testing for new employees. They do drug testing. But they can pre-screen for all kinds of sophisticated illnesses so that uh, in a triage type of situation, um, healthcare systems can decide who to do the more costly treatments versus other people because you've taken a test that helps determine whether you're uh, predisposed to that or have something and um, testing oftentimes is a, a very high return on investment proposition for the healthcare organization because um, you don't overspend on people who end up not being sick because you've determined that they're not by a relatively um, inexpensive test relative to the treatment. So. Um, what I like about it is healthcare is gaining share of the economy, and that's really independent of this healthcare legislation. It's just a factor uh, of demographics and older people choosing to spend more of their budget on healthcare because they need healthcare more. It's perfectly sensible. And so, but still, people are going to uh, want an efficient. Um, spend in healthcare, and so particularly to the extent that it continues to be organizationally driven, 
um, these testing companies are going to continue to have a good business. LabCorp puts up, you know, mid-20s operating margins very consistently. It's a very consistent business. Sales grow going back every single year. It's one of those kinds of things. Um, according to Value Line, you know, and I mean it's just a math problem, but they've been growing 15% the last five years. There is some acquired growth in there because some of the game here is you have salespeople in an area calling on doctors offices and things like that and so um, you know they can pick up little tuck-in acquisitions and put um, basically a sales force into an area that they haven't been before um, and um, I'm not sure how much of their growth is that it could be you know it could be up to half I don't know but that would that would still be additive to the value they're putting up um, upper teens returns on capital which is very attractive combined with that high operating margin it tells you there's something very proprietary going on here and while it isn't super cheap it's uh, on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis it's seven to eight times which call that seven and a half that's a thirteen percent return on the uh, enterprise value or the cash we would have to lay out to own the business and that's pretty good, particularly if they put up, according to Value Line, 9% earnings growth. I've got a 13% cash on cash yield and, uh, you know, 8 or 9% earnings growth, which gets me into the low 20s, which is why I like it. Um, if you want to get into some of the detail here, you know, it's, um, again, I'm just reading what Value Line is saying here. It says that near-term uh, revenues are static. And what these guys got caught up in, and I think one of the reasons you can buy it at a price that's still attractive, is that an important part of their business, at least on the sales side, sales line, is new hires and drug testing and things like that on the way in. Um, and um, particularly in industries where there's liability associated with hiring people who prove to be um, you know, unable to handle equipment or vehicles or these kinds of safety type of things. And so this last recession, you know, a lot of that new hire, I mean, obviously was gone. And so uh, this company ran into some headwind. And when you look at their earnings, I'm just looking, Value Line has this little section for quarterly earnings. And, uh, you know, I don't see any down quarters in the last couple of years I don't but we have seen a little bit of a you know uh, decline in return on capital maybe uh, sales growth has you know come down a little bit and so the valuation whereas you know in some years it gets to a premium uh, PE multiple um, right now it's at a discount which is not unusually cheap but given the stability here, it strikes me this particular stock, um, if you can earn a 20% total return, uh, given the uh, confidence you might have in the industry growth and um, this company's ability to maintain market share, you know, it seems like a, an easy one to sort of tuck away in the portfolio. Um, they... Uh, they generate a fair amount of cash flow. Their depreciation is twice the level of capital spending. They do have a history of buying stock, so I like seeing that. You know, management that knows when to give you your money back is nice. There's no dividend, so 
you know, you can find a lot of good yield stocks right now. This is not one of them, so that would be a negative. But I like it, LabCorp. Now, the compare and contrast is simply that there's a company that looks a lot like LabCorp called Quest, and uh, they do just about the same thing, and they're a little bit bigger. Uh, Quest is um, $7.5 billion in sales. LabCorp is $5.1 billion. And they have their little nuances and all that. But basically, um, for I think 80% of what they do, there's an overlap. And so you'd say, well, why would you buy one versus the other? And uh, the, the, the quick answer is LabCorp is a bit higher quality. you got to pay a little bit for it. But it's offset by uh, LabCorp's better returns on capital. And so to get into it a little of the data... Here's what I'd point out, just to start with the valuation. On an enterprise value to EBITDA basis, which would be EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes, depreciation, and amortization, might represent the cash flow that comes to me as an owner of all the stock and the debt. That I have the right to all of that. Now, certainly I will have to spend some of it on capital spending, on investment in working capital, uh, things like that, debt pay down, or debt pay repayments if I have some of that. But as a rough measure of uh, cash flow to me, it's a reasonable uh, measure. And in value line, if you multiply the operating margin times the revenue, that is the EBITDA margin in the value line uh, definition. So in the case of LabCorp, um, I take enterprise value as the uh, market cap or the stock price times the number of shares plus the debt less the cash and that represents the out-of-pocket cash we would have to come up with to have the right to the EBITDA and we call that enterprise value so when you hear enterprise value to EBITDA the multiple in this case it's about seven and a half times for LabCorp and I don't have a calculator here although I do but it's uh, it's on the same phone I'm recording on and so I don't wanna start pushing all kinds of buttons on this phone right now but um, so seven to eight times, seven and a half times. So what's my yield on that? What would I be earning instead of what I'd be earning in the bank if I put the money there or if I'd be earning it in a bond if I put the money there? This is a pre-tax number. And so um, it's one over seven and a half, which I think is about 13%. So that's the cash on cash yield if I buy LabCorp. And then I'll have an improvement in the value of my holdings each year that's roughly estimated by the growth rate in earnings if it's an earnings a stable earnings multiple that ends up determining the value so I've got 13 percent and then uh, the growth which uh, in the case of LabCorp value line says is going to be let's just say 8 percent that gives me 21 percent total return now let's look over at Quest um, which by the way over the last 10 years has grown slower than LabCorp, or in other words, has um, uh, lost some share. They've grown the last five years. Revenue at 11%, LabCorp at 15 So again, you'd have to dig in a little bit. There's times when these numbers don't exactly work out to market share estimates, but most often that they, they do. And so Quest's been losing share. They're cheaper, though. It's six times EBITDA. So the inverse on that is 16%, 16.7%. Uh, so that would be my cash-on-cash cash yield. 
Value Line says they're going to grow earnings at 11% faster than LabCorp. But you know what? I don't buy that. I don't. But whatever. Let's give it to them. So I've got the 16% plus the 11%. So that's 27% for Quest. And my math on this other one gives me about 20 I'm going to have to round up to help me out here. 22% on LabCorp. So that's a 5% difference. You'd say, well, why then would you buy LabCorp the lower return? Well, here's some other, here's the other side of it. Quest, 47% debt to capital. Um, interest is six times covered. At LabCorp, it's 30% of capital. Interest, 16 times covered. So that's less risky. So uh, I don't need as much of a return at LabCorp because, uh, in effect, the part of my return that might reflect, you know, the insurance of something going bad uh, it doesn't need to be there. So that's good. I also look at the margin. LabCorp has a consistently higher margin than Quest by 400 basis points. This is why I don't believe the earnings growth or, or sales growth is going to be higher at Quest. The reason being that LabCorp has a 400 basis point advantage at margin. Right now, they're bringing that into the return on capital. They're returning a higher return on capital because they are earning a higher profit on each sale. And then that allows them to uh, use that extra money for acquisitions that Quest won't have a chance to make, and that allows them to grow faster through that, uh, you know, through uh, um, acquisition. Or they can use that extra money to buy shares, shrink the share count, and grow per share uh, value faster on that basis. Um, so uh, either way, I don't believe that Quest can grow faster than uh, LabCorp because LabCorp is generating extra uh, profit on each dollar of sale, extra return. Um, the other thing that the higher margin at LabCorp does is it gives them power to cut price anytime they want. And let's just put it this way, LabCorp thought that this would happen, but if they cut their price to where they were earning a 4% margin, that would be the point when Quest would be earning a 0% margin. So effectively, they have some power to you know, reach out and zing Quest's market share uh, anywhere they want. And one of the reasons that might be, you know, harmful to Quest is they have sales that are, uh, you know, billions of dollars higher than LabCorp, and yet they're still earning a lower margin. So their systems, whatever they are, and you know, I I don't know what they are, and and, and maybe there's other explanations that have to do with product mix or whatever. I don't know, but. Um, it would seem that on higher sales but lower margin, they just must not be doing something as well. Whether it's buying as well, um, you know, who knows? Whether it's uh, uh, the logistics, uh, you know, expense in terms of organizing all the product that you're bringing in and then delivering it out to all the doctor's office. That's a giant logistics problem and it's expensive. If you don't do it right, that could account for a couple hundred basis points in margin. You know, I don't know. Maybe they simply don't have the right pricing strategy. Um, I really don't know. But for all those reasons, I prefer the LabCorp, and I thought I'd just sort of walk through that.
uh, compare and contrast. So, um, boy, that took longer than I thought. I'm going to need to have a drink. Okay, two other names tonight. And I'm sorry, I'm probably in a little bit of a hurry. Just, uh, I, uh, I was out a little bit late last night, and so I'm, uh, it's sort of late, and, um, I'm, uh, I'm just squeezing this in, frankly, before bed. So, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm getting sleepy. Although I did have a candy bar to give me a little energy for the show. And, um, of course, an adult beverage with some juice in it for the sugar to have get, get some energy going. I don't know if it's helping whatsoever. But two other ideas tonight, both in the aerospace area. First up, Raytheon, ticker RTN. Again, the first thing I'm attracted to on a name like this when I go through it is the valuation. It's uh, uh, 10 times earnings. That's going to get my attention. Uh, it's a 34% discount to the market PE. I like that. You look back down at the margin, it's sort of in a growing trend, 13%. I like that. Um, their returns on capital... You know, 10 years ago, we're in the single upper single digits. Now they're in the mid-teens, so something good's happening, whether it's economies of scale or what have you, I don't know. The valuation on an enterprise value to EBITDA basis is five to six times, which, if I do the inverse, is uh, about 18%. And then if they grow at 9%, that's a 27% return. So, again, I'm interested in that. The balance sheet looks great. They show up as having 19% debt to capital, but if you take a look at the cash, it's higher than the debt. So on a net debt basis, they have uh, net cash positive by about, uh, I don't know, it's late, it's hard to do the math, but it looks like two, maybe 2-3% two, of capital is positive cash. Um, they have a history of buying shares back. I like that. Again, management seems to know what to do when they can't find something to do with them with your money our money they give it back to us uh, they don't have a ton of leverage so their return on equity is um, in the upper teens and uh, you know that accounts for why their debt to cap is 19 percent let's see what do they do I guess I haven't really said that Raytheon it's uh, a defense company they sell I think quite likely that almost everything they sell goes to governments. I hope so, because it's it's missiles. Um, global provider of ground-based air defense systems, air intercept missiles, airborne and air-based radar communications, and other military systems. Now, the thing that uh, I like about this, there's a lot of defense companies in this week's issue that you know, look cheap. So Northrop or uh, General Dynamics and, and others. The thing I like about Raytheon is the same thing I sort of talked about with LabCorp, is you can make a return on investment argument to the buyer, where, uh, again, you can, you can buy um, one fighter plane, or for the same amount, you could probably buy hundreds of these missiles. Um, and so it might be a, uh, a better use of, you know, of, of scarce capital to buy more of these. And certainly 
um, as a defensive measure, you know, it's um, it's going to be sort of a razor blade business. You're going to have these. You're going to have them um, as an accessory. And I think that the ROI argument is, is pretty strong, uh, particularly around the world where you might not have enough, um, you know, uh, money for an off offensive uh, military capability, but you're going to buy stuff to defend yourself. So I like that sort of consistency of it. When you look back through their sales history, you know, they've only had uh, really one down year that I see, and that was back in 2006. And, you know, who knows? They probably lost, you know, a, a big weapon order at that time. These guys own, you know, you've heard of Raytheon. They also own Hughes Electronics. And uh, Value Line doesn't name any other companies, but I'm sure there's a bunch of old line, you know, aerospace uh, defense companies from the 60s that kind of got rolled into here. Um, let's see. What do they say here? Um, there's not a lot that talks about any particular weapons programs that are at risk or that they might get or might lose. That's what I like about this. It looks a lot more stable. You're tied into the sort of theme that um, defense is going to be a stable spend around the world. And uh, these guys are, they're, they're building the razor blades. There's no, you know, there's no big defense system that they're trying to win that could lose, that could get into the stock. And so, you know, I like it. It's, uh, it's, what did I say, five and a half times EBITDA. You get about eight or nine percent growth, 27 percent total return, great balance sheet. What else do you need to know? Probably a lot, but I don't, I don't know much more. So Raytheon. And finally, uh, this week, CAE Inc. ticker CAE.TO, because it's a Canadian company on the Toronto Exchange. And what I'm attracted to here, first off, is, again, the valuation. It's six and a half times EBITDA, and that's going to be a, uh, you know, somewhere between a 16.7 and 14% uh, return. So let's call it 15.5% cash-on-cash return. If you have a calculator, I'm sure you can do a better job than that. And I've got a 5% earnings growth forecast by value line. That gets me up toward 20%. The thing I like about that, it's a 20% return, which is lower than you might get on, you know, I, I, I like higher than 20, 20 or better. So that starts to be a threshold. But when you look at what they do, these guys provide simulation technologies and training services to commercial airlines, uh, manufacturers, and military forces. Uh, let's see. Civil simulation is 47% of 2009 sales. A military is 53%. So, you know, these guys are in the business of training pilots on uh, existing equipment, and then obviously when new models come out, people have to get all trained. Um, and safety seems to be in the ascension. Um, there's some evidence for that, um, and I'm not going to quote specific sources here because, as I said up front, um, I may be completely uninformed, but my feeling is is that the value 
of a of a life in America continues to go up as measured by um, you know really judgments in trials when you have wrongful death suits and how much is awarded and so um, and then there's just the sort of rising uh, morality and ethics and capability in our society to prevent loss of life as you move up Maslow's hierarchy of needs and and uh, you know you want to commit resources to that so this is a way to do that they earn mid-twenties operating margin which um, very consistently which again says to me that they have a consistent business the sales here have been sluggish recently which is why you get a little bit of a bargain and it's just makes sense because in the last you know couple years of recessionary downturn you know i think it's probably easy as uh airlines are shrinking fleets rather than uh growing fleets it's easy to reduce the need for simulators when you're re maybe not hiring new pilots and things like that so you would naturally um reduce your use of them or perhaps need for new equipment i totally get that but we're coming out of that right now even value line says here that passenger and cargo traffic is coming back obviously on a uh, commercial basis you're going to be pretty well tied into gdp and that's happening um, defense is growing etc so um, you can see in their margin that they're doing something proprietary their return on capital is lower than I'd like. It's in the low, low teens, which probably suggests the company's being run by uh, scientists who don't particularly understand ROI or don't care to understand it. Um, you also, you know, the, the company's not been buying stock back, which also suggests that um, finance guys aren't running the company. That may be a future opportunity for finance guys to come in and bring a little discipline. Um, meantime, I think you're getting a 20% total return for something that could turn out to be a lot better if um, if the market share of um, uh, you know safety equipment within the aerospace market continues to grow, and there's probably a pretty good chance of that. So CAE um, ticker CAE dot TO, and that's all uh, for this week, ladies and gentlemen. So let's see, what's my favorite? Um, hmm. I think I got to go with uh, Raytheon ticker RTN. Thanks for listening in, everybody. Bye bye.